Glad we can be together again this evening, and I invite your attention to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be studying together from Hebrews chapter 2, predominantly verses 1 to 4, but we'll be working our way really through parts of the first two chapters of this book this evening. The Hebrews writer in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, introduces seven things that testify or that outline the supremacy of Jesus. And incidentally, our young people have been learning, learning this passage and memorizing it as well. So I think they're going to be familiar with these points. The Hebrews writer tells us, first of all, that Jesus is the final revelation of God to humanity. He says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. He says, second of all, that he is the divinely appointed heir, uh, whom, he goes on to say, he has appointed heir of all things. He is third, the agent of creation, through whom also he made the worlds. He is the manifestation of God in the flesh, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He is the sustainer of all things and upholding all things by the word of his power. He purged our sins when he had by himself purged our sins. The Hebrews writer says he sat down on the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the book begins by outlining the supremacy of Jesus in these seven different ways. But then when we get to verse 4, we have really what is a pivot passage. The writer says at the beginning of this passage, having become, having become so much better than the angels, which we talked about for a little while this morning, but notice for a moment that phrase, having become, it speaks of all that Jesus has accomplished as the Lamb of God in fulfilling the Father's, uh, in fulfilling the Father's scheme of redemption. So there are seven items listed in the first three verses and one phrase in verse number four that summarizes everything that Jesus has accomplished. And then following that, having become now we begin our discussion about the superiority, uh, uh, superiority to the angels. These are the points that we noticed this morning. Jesus is superior to the angels, first of all, because of his name, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and that name is Son. Jesus is superior to the angels, second, because he is worshipped, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 6. Jesus is superior to the angels because of his nature, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 7 to 9. He is superior because he is the eternal creator, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, and because of what he has accomplished, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Seven points that outline his supremacy, Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. One phrase that summarizes all of his accomplishments, Hebrews 1, verse 4, and then five reasons why he is greater than the angels, Hebrews 1, verse 4, through the end of the chapter. But that's not the end of the argument. 
It actually picks up again in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse number 5. And in this, and in this case, the Hebrews writer begins to answer the question as to why it is the case that Jesus was made, as he will describe it, a little lower than the angels. Why is it that Jesus took upon flesh and came to this earth? Why did that happen? He lists five reasons. Number one, so that all may be put in subjection to him. Hebrews 2, verses 5 to 9. Number two, so that he may bring many sons to glory. Hebrews 2 and verse 10. Number three, that he might destroy the devil in his works. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. Number four, that he might deliver us. Hebrews 2 and 15. And number five, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews 2 and verse 17. Now, I realize that that's a lot of information to catalog and to process at one time, but I want you to take a moment and just step back and look at it from a bird's eye view just for a minute. We have, in the first three verses of the book, seven points that identify the supremacy of Jesus. We then have one phrase that summarizes everything that he's accomplished, followed by five reasons why he is greater than the angels, and then on the other side of that, five reasons why he was made a little lower than the angels. Five reasons why he's greater, five reasons why he was made just a little bit lower, and now look at what comes right in the middle. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 we have what will really be the first of five exhortations that are going to be found in the book of Hebrews. And this is how the writer will unfold in his argumentation. He'll go on for a period of time proving a point, and then he will stop seemingly right in the middle of the thought, and he'll provide some points of application that are designed to impress upon us the importance of heeding and obeying the word of God. So I want us to look at this exhortation this evening, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Remember, Jesus is superior. Here's seven reasons why. Jesus has accomplished much. Here's one phrase to bring that to mind. Jesus is greater than the angels. Here's five reasons why. Here's five reasons why Jesus was made a little lower than the angels. But in the middle, here's why all of this matters. First of all, let's look at the exhortation. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Hebrews writer says, Therefore we must give heed, excuse me, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. I want you to notice, first of all, the basis for this exhortation, and it is the word, therefore. And of course, when you see the word therefore, we've got to figure out what it means. We've got to know what it's there for. It is a summarizing or a pivoting word. And what it's doing is it's telling us, I want you to look back at everything that's just been discussed. What's everything that's just been discussed? We've talked about the supremacy and the superiority of Jesus. We've seen that Jesus is prophet, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. That Jesus is priest, Hebrews 1 and verse 3, and that Jesus is king, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. And we've also seen that he is superior to angels, Hebrews 1 verses 4 to 14. And so, therefore, 
Because he is prophet and priest and king and because he is superior, here is our obligation, here is our responsibility. We must give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard. Look at that terminology. We must give the more earnest heed. It really is the idea of pay close attention to this. And in in addition to paying close attention to it, it involves thinking about it. It involves processing it and thinking carefully about the information that you've received and then acting upon the information. Notice the, the process. We pay close attention, we think or we process what it is that we're paying attention to, and then we prepare to act upon what we have paid attention to and what we have processed. He's talking about in Hebrews 2 and verse number 1, the things that we have heard. He is talking about the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about how Christ is superior and how he is God's final revelation to mankind and how he has accomplished the scheme of redemption, how he has done all of these great things and now therefore he is exalted and he sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's saying, I want you to listen to this and I want you to process it and I want you to recognize that you have to pay attention to him and you have to pay attention to his message. Notice he says, these are the things that we have heard. You see, it's not a question of revelation. It's a question of inclination. The gospel is here. Christ has accomplished his purpose. The message of salvation through Jesus Christ has been revealed. The only question is, are we inclined to pay attention to it and give it priority? You remember that Samuel was instructed in 1 Samuel 3, verse 9 and 10... Samuel was instructed by the old priest Eli, when you hear the Lord speaking, you say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It captures an attitude that ought to be found within the hearts and minds of each and every one of us even today. Matthew 17 and verse 5, as the apostles see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they see Jesus, and they see Moses, and they see, uh, they see Elijah, the desire of Peter, you remember, is to build a tabernacle or a temple to all three, and the Lord speaks from heaven, and he says, no, no, this is, who, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You hear him. He's the one that has the authority. He's the one that needs to be listened to. He's the one that needs to be paid attention to. And he is the one that needs to be obeyed. The Hebrews writer has proven beyond any shadow of doubt in the entirety of the first chapter that this is my beloved son in whom I have well pleased. Hear ye him because he is the superior savior. So therefore, the exhortation of Hebrews 2 verse 1 is pay attention to what he says. Listen carefully to what he says and apply it to your life. And the reason? Lest we drift away. Drifting, as he says at the end of the passage, uh, Hebrews 2 and verse number 1, drifting is really just the result of not paying attention. It's like a ship or a person who's in a, a boat Uh, out uh, on the water who maybe falls asleep and the boat is allowed to drift on with the tide and they go on past the point where they're supposed to land. Drifting is really the result of not paying attention. It is a failure to do what what is commanded in the earlier part of the verse, which is 
give the more earnest heed to the things that you've heard. We're told that we are to pay close attention to and to think and to act, but drifting is the failure to think, and it's the failure to pay attention, and it's the failure to act. It literally is neglect. Notice, by the way, that as the Hebrews writer writes this by inspiration, he's writing to people who are Christians, and he doesn't use the word reject. We're not talking about rejecting God's word. We're not talking about rejecting Christ. What we're talking about is good old-fashioned neglect. More spiritual problems, perhaps, than we know are caused by neglect than anything else in the life of a Christian. Typically, when we talk about neglect, it has to do with uh, the result of misplaced priorities. We have the time to scroll through Facebook and mow the lawn and watch Monday night football when we come home from work, but we don't have time to make the, or we don't rather make the time to grow spiritually. That's an example of misplaced priorities. And those are the kinds of things that produce, uh, that produce a fruitful atmosphere for neglect. Reading God's word and meditating upon it in prayer and other spiritual disciplines, these are the things that we need to be thinking of. Incidentally, if you put your bookmark in Hebrews chapter 2 and turn a few chapters to Hebrews chapter 10 and notice verse 22 to 25, you're going to see some similar, similar language. Now when we get to this point, we're nearing the end of what we might describe as the doctrinal section of the book of Hebrews. And so now, again, points of application are being given. And you notice in Hebrews 10, verse 22 and 25, there are some exhortations that are uh, laid forth. Let us, Hebrews 10, 22, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of everything that Christ has done for us, which is spelled out in summary form in Hebrews chapter 10, the first 18 verses, therefore, what we ought to do is draw near to God. Look at verse number 23. Let us hold fast, he says, the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Because of everything that God, through Christ, has done for us, Hebrews 10, then let us be firm in our conviction and firm in our faith without wavering. Look at verse 24. Do you notice a common thread? Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And let us consider one another, he says, in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Here are some practical exhortations that remind us so much of the practical exhortation of Hebrews 2 and verse 1. Let us, the Hebrews writer says in that passage, let us give the more earnest heed, let us pay closer attention, let us grab hold of the things that we have heard, lest through neglect we allow them to drift away. Hebrews 10, verse 22 to 25. Knowing everything that God has done for us, let us draw near to Him, not allow ourselves to be drawn away from Him. Let us hold fast our conviction and the confession of our faith, not allow our faith to grow weaker. And let us consider one another, let us build one another up, not allow one another to shrink and to die and to um, become unhealthy, spiritually speaking. The exhortation of Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1 is to make sure that we are not neglecting our obligations as members of the body of Christ. Not neglecting our time 
in communion with God, not neglecting our feasting on the bread of life, not uh, neglecting uh, our desire to grow closer to God, uh, not finding within ourselves a tendency toward being discontent and finding fault in every little thing and offering excuses for neglecting of service. We're either going to be drawn near to God or we're going to drift away from Him. You're looking for another cross-reference. You might notice Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. The Hebrews writer talks about our hope and he says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul and the picture of course is that it keeps us grounded and it keeps us stable and it keeps us tied on steadfastly to the Savior and to the message of salvation that he has provided. The writer in the first chapter of this book has proven again over and over and over again verse after verse Christ is superior. Christ is the one to whom we must listen. Christ is the one whom we must obey. Christ is the one who has authority. He's the one who's our king. So listen to him. Hebrews 2 and verse 1. And don't find yourself falling in the trap of just simply neglecting what you know you ought to do. Now look at the warning. Hebrews 2 and verse 2. Look at the warning. For or because, that's the idea, if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Stop right there just for a moment. When he talks about the word spoken through angels, he is talking about the Old Testament law. He's talking about the law of Moses. Remember Paul tells us in Galatians 6 and Stephen tells us in Acts 7 that the law of Moses was mediated through the angels And earlier in chapter 1, we saw, as you recall, uh, in verse number 5 and in verse number 6, that uh, Jesus is greater than the angels, that he's greater than Moses, that he has a greater law, that he is a greater mediator. And yet, he says this inferior, in light of Jesus Christ, this inferior covenant, the law of Moses, when a person violated that, they received a just reward, meaning they received punishment, and that punishment was fitting. So now the argument is, how much more? How much more in neglecting the gospel of our salvation given to us by the superior Savior are we going to find a just recompense of reward? How much more are we going to find an appropriate and a proper punishment for being, being found guilty of, again, not rejecting, but neglecting that which is given to us by a Savior who is far superior to anything or anyone that we could imagine. Same argument is made going back to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 29. You'll notice that we stopped in verse 25 a moment ago, but that was on purpose. In verse 26 through 29, you remember that the Hebrews writer picks up and says, For if we sin willfully, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain expectation, fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will devour the adversaries. Listen to this. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the... Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. 
You notice that the argument is basically the same in Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 29, as what he's making in Hebrews 2 and verse 2. The reason why this exhortation to pay close attention and to obey what the Savior says and not be guilty of drifting away is because under the inferior law, which is the law of Moses, people suffered punishment for violating that law. But now, under the superior law, the law of Jesus Christ, that which has been made a reality through the Savior, how much more, how much worse punishment do you suppose one will be counted worthy of? Notice the connection of Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 29, not only with Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, but really with Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 25. And really, you could make an argument that it is the fitting in to the entire argument that begins in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 4. Willful sinning doesn't have just to do with forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in verse 25, although certainly that's part of it. But it also has to do with neglecting, Hebrews 2 and verse 2. It also has to do with wavering, Hebrews chapter 3. It also has to do with not drawing near, Hebrews 10 verse 22. Not holding fast, Hebrews 10 verse 23. As well as not considering one another, Hebrews 10 and verse 24. Anytime we turn our back or our attention away from what the Word of God tells us, and we do it knowingly, That applies, that is involved in Hebrews 10 and verse number 26. The reason why the exhortation is so very serious is because the punishment is so very serious. But now look finally at the obligation. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The exhortation, don't allow yourself to drift away. Pay attention, pay close attention to the things that we have heard. The warning... Verse number 2, there's going to be a just reward, a deserved penalty for neglecting and violating the law of God. Verse 3 and 4, here's our obligation. How shall we escape, the question is asked, if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with miracles and wonders and with ver- excuse me signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Our obligation, Hebrews two verse three and four, is to pay attention. Notice he says, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation?" Note, can make the connection. In verse 1, when he described drifting away, really what he's talking about is neglect, is not paying attention. And now in verse 3, he brings it together and he makes the application. If we allow ourselves to drift away, what we're really doing is we're simply guilty of neglect. You know, criminal negligence is defined technically as showing disregard for human life or for the safety of others. We're talking about spiritual negligence in Hebrews 2, verse 1 to 4. And this is a warning to avoid spiritual negligence. So the obligation in verse 3 is just the same as the warning in verse 2. And that is pay attention. But now there are three reasons in verse 3 and 4 why this salvation that we're describing and that we're able to enjoy is so great. In fact, you could say it this way. The uh, obligation is to pay attention, and the reason why we're to pay attention is because of how great this salvation is, and here's the reason why it's great. Number one, because it was spoken by the Lord. 
We're talking about the very message that our Lord proclaimed while here on earth, the very work that he did. Luke 4 and verse 18 and 19. Luke 19 and verse 10. Number two, because it was confirmed by those who heard him. We're not only talking about the message that our Lord proclaimed and the work that he did, but we're also talking about that same message that was confirmed and that was proclaimed by those who were there and heard it and saw it and obeyed it themselves. Mark 16, 15 to 19. Luke 24, verse 47 to 49. Number three, because God bore witness with miracles and with signs and with wonders according to his own will. This salvation, this great salvation, is not just that which our Lord proclaimed and which he accomplished. Not just that which was confirmed and believed and obeyed and even proclaimed by those who were there and heard and saw what he said and what he did, but it's also great because God himself through miracles and signs and wonders, has testified to its truth. Acts 2 and verse 22. Do you remember what Peter said to the Jews who were guilty of murdering Jesus on the day of Pentecost? He described our Lord as the authenticated Messiah, and he said God himself has authenticated him through signs and through wonders and through miracles, which he says you yourself also saw and you yourself know. So there is an exhortation, and the exhortation is pay attention. Listen, obey, don't be guilty and neglect. The warning is there is a deserved penalty for neglect, and the obligation is don't be guilty of spiritual criminal negligence, but instead pay close attention to this great salvation that is so great because it was spoken by our Lord and confirmed by those who heard him and God himself bore witness to its reality and its greatness. So the question that the context asks is how can we neglect what Jesus gave, what God confirmed, and what the early Christians were committed to so very strongly? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Hebrews writer will identify for us seven reasons why Jesus is superior. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4, we have one phrase that summarizes everything that he's accomplished. And then Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4 through Hebrews 4 and verse 14, we have five reasons why Jesus is superior to the angels. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5, through the end of the chapter, we have five reasons why Jesus was made a little lower to the angels of whom he is superior. And right in the middle of it, we have an exhortation to sit up and to pay attention and understand why it matters. Now this evening, the only question that's really left for us to ask is, have we been paying attention do we recognize the superiority of the Savior in our own lives? Do we recognize the superiority of the Savior as it is set forth for us in the pages of God's Word? Are we willing to pay close attention to what He says and what He requires and what God has done through Him? Or rather, are we willing to allow ourselves to be overwhelmed with the mundane, vain, and meaningless things of the world so that we become guilty of neglecting this great salvation of which we are so keenly aware? 
Are we going to be like the one in the boat who falls asleep and drifts on past the pier? The one who becomes lost out at sea because he's just not paying attention. Again, we're not talking about rejection. We're just talking about, we're just talking about forgetting and not paying attention. Are you paying attention to the Savior this evening? If not, it's time to start. The Lord's invitation is, off, is extended. If you have the desire to become a Christian tonight, we invite you to do it, and we stand ready and willing to help you in doing so. But if you are a Christian, and if you examine your life this evening, and you say, you know, I'm really not paying attention. I'm really neglecting this great salvation. I've not been the person that God wants me to be. Then make it right and come back. Don't, don't be lost at sea. We stand ready and willing to help you. Come forward and let your need be known while we stand and sing together.